Hello and welcome to the second episode of The Camera Report, brought to you by WaterfootFilms.com. The Camera Report is a movie-making podcast by filmmakers for filmmakers. I'm your host, Sean Malone, and for this episode, I have the great privilege of talking to accomplished cinematographer, Bob Scott. Bob Scott has spent an exciting career behind the camera that currently spans over two decades. He got his start shooting for NFL films, and he's been on camera crews for an array of impressive movies, including The Bourne Ultimatum, Any Given Sunday, and Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Mr. Scott has also served as director of photography for a series of successful faith-based films, including the box office hits Facing the Giants and Fireproof. Today, I'll get a chance to talk to him about some of the highlights of his career, his next film with the Fireproof folks, Courageous, plus what it was like to operate camera for the upcoming special effects spectacular, Cowboys and Aliens. Bob Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. That's great to be here. Thanks, Sean. How did you first get interested in making movies? Was it as a kid or later? No, you know, I think it was a little bit later. I remember specifically, I always kind of remember this this uh, moment where, you know, when I was younger, my teenage years, maybe it was actually in college, uh, I went to see a movie by myself called Witness. It was um, a Harrison Ford uh, film about a police officer and it was about a, the Amish community and he was trying to solve a murder. And uh, I just remember sitting there at the end of that film thinking, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to make people feel the emotion that I'm feeling right now through movies and uh, it was just it was actually uh, you know a pretty amazing moment uh, you know another film that kind of got that same um, feeling stirring in me again was Dances with Wolves and I just remember thinking it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to sit in a movie theater with you know 200 strangers turn out the lights and, and go through this journey together with somebody and I just think movie making is is such a powerful Cool. It's an entertaining medium, but it's also uh, it's a reflection of who we are and what we do. And, and I just think um, those two films, and you know specifically, were um, you know planted that seed in me. What was it about those two films in particular? What emotions? in particular, uh, are you talking about? Well, I think in Dance with Wolves, there's no question that the cinematography was just so powerful. And it, it showed me that simple images can evoke emotions and support the vision of the director and make you feel a certain way for a character. You know, obviously films are bigger than life. We go in there and the screen is so amazingly right. large. And Dances with Wolves had, had some of those incredible vistas shot in, you know, anamorphic and widescreen and um, almost makes you feel like you can just reach out and touch the landscape. So it was really the, the visuals and the cinematography that first caught your interest. Yeah, I think so. No question. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in upstate New York in Rochester, which uh, is kind of ironic because that's the home of Kodak, but uh, didn't have anything to do with filmmaking. My, my dad was um, he was a sales executive for an ABC affiliate up there, and then, you know, in high school, we moved to Florida. How did you get started in the film industry? Did you go to film school? I did. I went to the University of Florida in uh, Gainesville. And I majored in journalism, and uh, part of the journalism, they didn't have a film curriculum like, you know, FSU or USC or anything like that, but they had a journalism school that um, enabled you to dab a little bit in, in motion picture, not only theory, but the practical aspects, and getting in and shooting and editing and um, actually splicing film together, which is, you know, that was, I think I was on the back end of that era, uh, but I was glad sure. to have that opportunity. Um, and so, well, you know, I started 
shooting, we had to do a, a nightly newscast as part of the PBS station that the, the school owned, and I started in the sports department, and I went out and shot um, Gator athletic uh, events, football, volleyball, baseball, and uh, that's kind of where I, I got my um, my start as a, a camera operator. The old days of three-quarter inch video where you had the, not only the camera, but the deck over your shoulder. Well, that's kind of a nice lead-in to my next question. You've been described as one of the premier sports and action cinematographers in the country. Is that because of your uh, involvement with the, the sports videography and cinematography? When I was at the University of Florida shooting football games, I always saw a guy who had an NFL Films camera, and he was shooting highlight films for the Gators. And I thought, man, that is the coolest job. Right. And I obviously I knew about NFL Films at the time, and Convinced my dad I needed to buy a camera, and he helped me co-sign a loan for a $19,000 camera, which was an interesting conversation with the banker. Um, <laughs> you want to do what? With how much money? And um, so I ended up buying a, an SR. And, okay. you know, I I, um, I thought, geez, you know, maybe that's my end to NFL Films. And I called and wrote and tried to get names of people who knew people. And so for two years, I pretty much got the door closed and then finally before a season started uh in the 80s uh, i got two preseason tick two preseason passes to go shoot a tryout for the tampa bay buccaneers and um so i shot they sent me a couple rolls of film and i shot the film and sent it back up and i it's kind of funny because i still actually have the note but i got a note back from you know the guy who was um in charge of cinematography there and they're at nfl films yeah, at NFL Films, and they actually sent me a copy, of, uh, a print of the of the stuff that I shot, and in the in the box was a note, and it said, you know, NFL Films tryout, cameraman Bob Scott, the date, and on, on the note it said, uh, seems to follow action very well, could be used at the end of the season when the Bucks are out of contention. <laughs> <laughs> my wife was like, well, that's not very nice, and I go, no, no, it's great, it's great, I, my foot is in the door, and and. Right. Um, you know, sure enough, the Bucks were terrible those years, and once they got a contention, my phone rang, and I shot, I don't know, maybe four games at the end of the year, and, and then started full-time the next time. So I've been shooting for NFL Films for close to 23 years now, and and I think that has led a, to a tremendous amount of opportunities in other projects that are, you know, sports-related. I've done a lot of Olympic work and, sure. and stuff like that. So. Uh- Twenty-two of those years, the Bucks were out of contention. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's right. We're we're uh, we're still waiting for. A, although they did they did pretty good when John Gruden was there. Well, football seems to be a big passion for you. Yeah, it is. It's um, helped me refine my uh, operating abilities. I mean, it's it's one of those things uh, that's unlike anything else that I've shot, where it's the real world. You don't get a take two. I mean, if you miss a touchdown, uh, you can't. You know, ask everybody to go back to one and sure. do a take two. I mean, you have to react to what's presented in front of you from an action standpoint. But then also, NFL Films is unique in, in the sense that they're storytellers. So you have to start thinking about how to put a couple shots together that tell a story. You know, whether somebody's, you know, that day is going to attempt to break a record or there's some history between the two teams or coaches or, or something developed on the field that day that, you know, whether it's weather or uh, whatever, you know, they're the historian of the of the game, 
Uh, their films, you know, are archived and will, will last, you know, for as long as they can versus, you know, NBC, which, you know, months later their tapes are destroyed. So, you know, you have a little bit of responsibility. And so I like that challenge. I'm assuming your work on the NFL stuff led to shooting for films like Friday Night Lights, Any Given Sunday, The Replacements. Yeah, I was a camera operator. My first football film was uh, Any Given Sunday, an Oliver Stone film. And um, I was specifically brought in because I was an NFL cameraman, and um, which was, you know, that was a very interesting project. But since then, I've probably done, I don't know, six, seven different football-related television shows or, or feature films. And um, it's been football, as they say, football's been very good to me. Um, and I, I enjoy it. It, it, it definitely, um, that was the bridge for me, going from sports cinematography to dramatic feature films was sports and it was football. And it's led to a tremendous amount of things. In 2006, you made the jump from operator to DP with Facing the Giants. Was that a goal all along to shoot features? Or did you kind of just get in it to be a, a football cameraman? Well, I think, no, I think in the beginning, I just was happy shooting sports. I love sports. I grew up playing sports and watching sports. I was a fan of, you know, most sports. And so I was thrilled. Um, and when I bought my camera, it was just, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work as an assistant with this camera. I'm going to work as a cinematographer. And I just slowly started to um, work my way up the ladder, as they say. And I, I actually um, got into, uh, you know, a cameraman's union. And I ended up kind of working my way up traditionally. I was a loader for a while and a second assistant and a focus puller. And then, you know, obviously now an operator and cinematographer. But... Um, you know, I think it, it, I never really had this ultimate goal of saying, you know, I want to, I want to be a DP of feature films. It just kind of evolved. You know, I kept myself very busy, um, with sports cinematography and, and that just molded itself into opportunities that developed and, and emerged, uh, naturally. And I certainly embraced them when they when they became available. Did the producers of Facing the Giants find you because of your football work again? No, not at all. That whole story is kind of a, you know, as I like to say, kind of a bad thing. I mean, I um, they had made a movie, a very low independent film that I, through a series of meetings uh, here in Orlando, I got a chance to look at, and they also had a script that they said was their next project, but they kind of needed some help. They were kind of green filmmakers, and they we were shooting HD at the time. And they said, hey, take a look at the movie we did. Take a look at the script. See if you'd be interested in maybe coming up and helping us. And I looked at their first film, which was called Flywheel, and it was done literally on the weekends with a you know a camcorder from your you know a local electronics store. And right. um, the production value was really poor, but the story you know was gripping. And the next film. Facing the Giants just happened to be my first film, you know, that was offered to DP. <laughs> I had shot a jet ski movie years ago, but this was a substantial step higher than that. And it just so happened to be a football movie. Did that help you to maybe alleviate some of the the pressure? I mean, I, I don't know. I've never DP'd a feature film, but I would imagine there's a certain amount of... Uh of kind of fear and pressure in, in doing that for the first time? Uh, yeah, I think, I think um, 
you know, with any any new project, especially a feature film, you know, you go, I mean, at least with me, you know, I get a little bit of uh, stage fright or jitters and, you know, want to make sure that I'm really preparing myself. And, you know, when you walk onto a set and 75 people turn their heads and look at you and want to know what's going on and what what's the next step, you know, you and the director have to kind of be on your game and um, Facing the Giants was I didn't really have any worries about shooting the action sequences I mean I figured it, it, it certainly turned out to be a big challenge because on most big football movies we shoot with sometimes six seven eight cameras but we shot that entire movie with one camera and so right. the challenge of that was once we got into it and I started thinking about how are we going to make this day with one camera and all these scenes to shoot. But that film was really refreshing to me because it was literally an independent spirit. It was volunteers from the church. It was about six or seven paid professionals that we brought down from Orlando. And and it was, this is what we're going to try to do today. And if we get it, we get it. If not, there was no producers coming on, on set asking you, you know, how you're doing on the day and you're over budget. And it was really, you know, just a bunch of people making a movie because that's what they wanted to do. And, uh, for the, you know, it was kind of a love of the game kind of thing. Did you have any idea at the time what kind of reception it would get or kind of the popularity it would later enjoy? No, and, and you know, that's usually sometimes the, the way it goes with success stories like that. You know, when you're doing it, you're just kind of focused on every single day, never thinking about what's going to happen later. And we had no idea. I mean, you know, we prayed that God would take the movie and do what thought best with it, and, and he did. But during it, you know, you're just you're focused kind of on the, the ground in front of you as you're running along. And, um, you know, it happened to work out really well. Let's talk a little bit about uh, formats. I know your experience in both 35mm and digital formats. You shot Fireproof, which was a follow-up to Facing the Giants, on the Panasonic DVC Pro HD cameras. Right. Besides budget, what were some other reasons for going with this format, or, or was it all budget? Yeah, I mean, that camera, I, I bought that camera after the Salt Lake City Olympics, or Salt Lake, yeah, the Salt Lake Games in 2002, and um, it it was, you know, one of the very first HD cameras that um, had, you know, what they called this film look to it. And the workflow, the post flow, was very simple once you once you worked in Final Cut. And every movie that we did, we kind of evolved. With Giants, we shot strictly and recorded to the tape that um, the camera, um, the tape deck that the camera has in it. And then the next uh-huh. film. Fireproof, we, we did that as a backup, but we came out of the back of the camera, which, which offers you a, a higher quality signal and recorded to directly to hard drives. And um, you just get a little bit more dynamic range and you get a little bit more um, color information. So that, that was kind of the step up. And then, of course, this last film that I did with um, the Sherwood Group, we shot on the red. Oh, it was so, to God? Well, actually, it was uh, Courageous. Um, Letters to God was a different um, a different group, but but that was also shot on the red as well here in Orlando. What were your thoughts on the red? You know, I'm a film guy, and so if someone would just say you pick the format, I would certainly still go with film. But the red is a legitimate motion picture camera. I mean, uh, taking it through the entire DI process, you know, shooting it, uh, doing the the edit, and then taking it, you know, to LA and do the the complete DI is. It was impressive, and even the guys at Technicolor, we we viewed the fi- one of the final uh, film out for Letters to God at Technicolor, and I'm sitting there with one of the vice presidents of the company, and 
looking at it, and he goes, so what film stock did you guys shoot on? And um, <laughs> I said, well, we shot with the red, and he was he he was pretty amazed. I just miss being a, a documentary cinematographer and a sports guy is grabbing the, the camera off the tripod and running up to the top of the hill and getting the sunset just before it goes down, where as with HD and video and all these cables and yeah. video villages, and it's, you know, it's a little bit more cumbersome to do that. But, you know, you kind of just have to sharpen your, your pre-pro skills, and I'm just trying to uh, fit into this new world, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, are you familiar with the, the new, like, Canon D and 70 DSLRs? Yeah, um, very much so. My feeling is they give filmmakers on a budget, or filmmakers just starting out, an opportunity to shoot with something more cinematic for something that they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford. Do you do you feel that way? Oh, absolutely. Digital all along has, has been able to do that, and that's the, the greatest byproduct of this new new wave of technology. Is that before, if you didn't have a dad that helped you buy an SR when you were you know 22 years old, you could certainly figure out a way to come up with you know a thousand to two thousand dollars to go out and buy a camera and and start messing around with it and, and honing your own skills. And I think the digital SLR is just a continuation of that, and it's probably raised the bar considerably. I mean, I, I own a, a 5D, and on a couple projects that I've been on, from literally from a million-dollar movie to $150 million movie, the 5D is present, and we were just using it on a Western that I'm on, I'm on, and I saw a film out of it, actually, where they actually take the digital file and print it to 35-millimeter film. And really? It looks pretty good. Um, you know, I mean, you wouldn't want to shoot a whole feature with it, but, you know, when you, when you, you know, they shot a lot of, um, of the effects and stuff in Iron Man 2 with it, and oh, yeah. the film that I've been working on, um, Cowboys and Aliens, they're doing a lot of stuff with it, and so I think it, besides the big budget stuff, it, like you mentioned, John, it's, it's, um, it's a tremendous tool, especially being that it's a still camera, which I think everybody should, who, who, you know, inspiring cameramen and DPs and cinematographers, there's nothing easier than going out and taking a bunch of stills and trying to evoke emotion with them or tell a story or, or figure out composition and, and exposure and all that. And, and that camera um, allows you to do that. And then throw in the, the video element of it, it's great. And it's a whole new a whole new industry that's producing accessories and monitors and, and, and tools to to help the digital SLR cinematographer get better and and do more with the cameras. Well you mentioned Cowboys and Aliens. I do have a listener in LA who uh, asked me to ask you specifically about that experience of working on that movie, did you uh, did you interact with John Favreau at all? Or no, you know we I I'm a camera operator on second unit, and, and second unit probably everybody knows that's kind of a, an action uh, unit. So we we occasionally got uh, Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig, but John didn't didn't venture over to our unit. They were they had their hands full uh, tremendous amount on first unit and. Uh, there was a couple of days that we were on the same location, but um, I didn't get a chance to work with him directly. But I did get get a chance to kind of take in filmmaking at that scale. I mean, I don't I don't know what the budget is, but I know it's over 150 million dollars, and um, supposedly, and and I can, <laughs> can verify the, some of the some of the 
the locations and scenes and footprint that we took. I mean, it was a mega movie. And it was interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a good observer, at least I think I am. And I really like to see how things work and people work under certain circumstances. And it, you know, it was an awesome experience for me. And actually, I'm still, um, I think on Saturday, I go to LA to do another three weeks for for Cowboys and Aliens on stage and do all the green screen work. So we did we did about seven weeks of work in New Mexico over the last couple of months. And then, uh, so their first unit is back in, in <laughs> LA. And, does filming the movie yeah. sound as fun as the title? It does. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you, you think it's kind of a B Saturday morning movie when you, you hear the title, but I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, the second unit director of photography is a guy by the name of Paul Eugen, and he um, he's you know he's just an awesome action cinematographer. You know, you know, done huge stuff, and you know he kind of explained to me that you know the, the the idea is that it's just a throwback classic western. You know, that John Ford amazing vistas, um, uh-huh. you know, cinemascope, and letting the frame kind of just sit there, and the action comes and goes, and and you're kind of looking through this window onto this world. So it's been fun for me from a creative sense to watch that happen and, and see how what their take is on you know modernizing the classic Western. What have you learned from shooting um, on-camera crews for big-budget films like that or like Born Ultimatum or The Sixth Day? One of the things I've learned just from you know coming from both ends of the spectrum is it takes forever to shoot on films like that. I mean, and there's a reason why movies cost millions and millions of dollars. You know, in my observation is there's a there's a point where a million dollar movie, you know, a hundred million dollar movie is not a hundred times better than a million dollar movie. It's just they have more stuff, and there's a fine line and there's a skill set it takes to make sure that all that stuff doesn't bog you down when you have you know, two technocranes and you have 45 galloping horses all have to have riders with guns that have to go off and, you know, pyro departments and green mm-hmm. department. We had, you know, people are planting greens across this amazing desert and, you know, and then you have pyro that's going off in the background that takes, you know, a half hour to reset every time you do a take. And so there's a tremendous amount of responsibility and, like I mentioned, a, a, a skill set that it takes to keep that moving, keep that, that machine up and running because, you know, when you're spending 500000 bucks a day to make a movie, you better be sure that you're staying on budget and, and you're getting some good stuff because the stakes are quite, quite a bit higher from a, right. a financial standpoint. But, you know, the other thing is, is the flip side of that, it's just amazing what um, possibilities you have. I mean, you do have the opportunity to, to yank somebody off a, a running horse up into the sky as if a, uh, a alien ship is pulling them off, and you have these amazing opportunities and resources at your fingertips. And if you want to, you want to have um, an actor do a certain thing or a stunt. I mean, you just bring in the stunt guy, and, and you want to have a horse. We did a horse fall, a, a horse that went right through the saloon um, glass window into the saloon. And if you want to have that happen, you know, you, not so much you can do that on a, a hundred thousand or a million dollar movie. Right. You know, um, so <laughs> you know, the sky's the limit. <laughs> yeah, it, it literally is, and um, 
So that's the nice thing. And things can happen very quickly, you know, because you have people, you know, in the film business, the, the amazing thing is, uh, and one of the reasons it costs a lot is because you have people that are hired to do a very specific job, and that's all they do, but they're, they're the best in the industry at doing it. you got a guy that all he does and his team is responsible for mortar blasts, and another guy that all he is responsible for is effects makeup. And, and, and whenever you need someone in that department to do it, they're there, and they do it well, and you move on, and, and the movie's better for it. Um, whereas an independent movie, you need someone to, to prop out a room while somebody's got to go to Walmart and buy some lamps and do some stuff. And, and you know, if you want to change your mind about a scene, you know, it's not so easy. Right. Uh, it, it, you know, I've just been blessed to be on a whole bunch of different types of films. And, uh, on a, you know, on a film like Cowboys and Aliens, I'm, I'm blessed, even more blessed to be able to be an operator and sit back, do my job, and watch the whole world go by. Because... I'm not so sure that pressure is, is uh, something I can put on my shoulders right at the moment, <laughs> especially when, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg and Ron Howard's name are on the executive producers. You don't want right. to crumble, crumble in front of the whole crew. You don't, and you don't want to get on their uh, blacklist, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Who is this Scott guy? Get him off the set. <laughs> You'll never work in this town again. That's right. On Giants, well, on Facing the Giants, Fireproof and Letters to God, you're working on movies that are above anything else kind of message movies. They are trying to convey an uplifting message. Does that affect how you approach that material? Well, on on the movies you may, you mentioned, I mean, it's a little bit more self-inflicted pressure just because of the content and kind of one of the jokes is that, you know, there's not a person producing this film. God, God is the ultimate executive producer, and if he's going to kind of not his head in approval, we better do a pretty good job. And, and so, it, you know, that, that in itself has a little bit of added, you know, drive to do your very best. But I think in the end, it's a story. And we have to, to you know, my job is, as always, is just to try to give the director visuals and content that support, you know, the script and, and his vision. And, and that's a lot of times I just have to kind of concentrate on that because you know i'm i'm one of those guys who you know will shoot this amazing scene of some emotional thing and i'll see some little lighting cue that didn't happen or the actor didn't turn his head or you know the dolly move was just a little bumpy at a certain point and i'm like oh man that was so close but in the end when you look at the movie or you look at editing the next day and mm-hmm. you know that that you know my my agenda really doesn't matter as long as the director and the actors and the message comes across because the other thing that I've learned a tremendous amount is that the audience, the audiences, if, if you're doing your job well, they're they're um, amen, you know, they're immersed in in the story and uh, the characters, and they don't care if the catch light in somebody's eye isn't there or you know the backlight's a little bit too hot or right. you know you, you should have did a close-up at this point and you didn't have time and you ran out or so i think i have to kind of give myself a little bit of check once in a while and and, um certainly in these films it's it's not 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 about my agenda or what i think is you know art or technical excellence it's it's really about it's you know story is king Uh, it's all about the story what has been your most gratifying experience as a cinematographer and as an artist. Oh boy, I do remember 
you know, the Olympics were a really huge goal for me. Um, I just thought that was the pivotal achievement for a sports cinematographer in order to cover something on that scale. Through NFL Films Connection, I actually got a chance to do the, my first Olympics was the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. You know, I remember doing a dress rehearsal of the opening ceremony, standing underneath the American flagpole and thinking, you know, if tomorrow happens, I've actually made it. And then the very next night when it all happened for real, the coolest moment for me was when Muhammad Ali walked out of the stage and then lit the torch. So that, that to me, was probably one of those moments. I try not to... um, I'm kind of an emotional guy, as you can probably tell, but, you know, when I'm when I'm filming, I try not to let emotion get to me. But, you know, there was no question my viewfinder was fogging up that night. A couple of questions for the aspiring filmmakers that are listening. In your whole career so far, wow. what have you done right? Well, I, I think one of the things is, is that I've tried to, I mean, I don't know what I've done right, but what I've tried to do is to understand and develop a technical base for my craft that I think is the very first uh, step that you need to do in order to uh, reach your artistic potential. And I've always tried to consider myself a perpetual student of this this craft and to explore and to listen to and to seek out and do research on things and, and understand how other people do it try to establish this philosophy for myself and what I think is is effective and compelling. And then the artistic part of that is just a byproduct. To me, I think is just kind of this God-given talent or God-given opportunity. Once you kind of have those that base of, of technical knowledge, what evolves from that is, is the creative. And I've always tried to consider myself still a student. What resources... Uh, have you used in trying to establish that technical base? What what, uh, what materials do you go to well, I think, to be a perpetual student? I mean, first and foremost, I think it's the, the craft itself, films. Um, you know, I think that's that's probably the most the most available and, and the biggest numbers. And you know, I think that's everywhere. Everybody, everybody, and it's an obvious one. Uh, but I think it's it's important to study different films from different eras. Uh, the other thing is magazines, American Cinematographer, and, and um, you know technical textbooks, you know, which are very dry to me. But you know, most cinematographers are very visual people. So if the book has diagrams and pictures, I love it. But if it's if it's a lot of theory and and uh, exposés on certain eras, and it's a little bit drier. But you know, the other thing is the internet now too. Tremendous amount of uh, information. If you're if you're so inclined to be that kind of research guy and, and get into the blogs and sure. and, and there's a tremendous amount there. And the other thing too is maybe not so much considered a resource, but it's literally just getting out and doing it. Um, you know, we talked about this before, Sean, is just getting a camera and going out and, and experimenting and, and all those questions you have. Well, what, if this guy wants to create this look, how does he do that? And go out and it doesn't have to be anything but for your eyes only. You're, no one's going to critique you. No one's going to, you don't have to turn it into a professor. You're just out there playing around and starting to understand the mechanics of cinematography and photography and I just think that a lot of times, I mean, I'm guilty of this myself, no question, but a lot of times people just want to be an artist or a successful cinematographer, you know, maybe not today, but by, you know, next month. 
I mean, they, you know, they want to kind of skip over, um, <laughs> and I don't think they do. A lot of people don't do it consciously, but, you know, we just are kind of this society that, you know, a lot of, we need a lot of instant gratification to what, what our dreams are. And I'm, you know, certainly no one to preach to anybody else, but I have to keep myself in check and not, you know, try to get ahead of the game on any particular project or, you know, technology or whatever, and just really do the homework and, and keep myself balanced. And I think, you know, a lot of young filmmakers, there's a tremendous opportunity right now because never before, I don't think, in the history of telling stories is there have been so many opportunities for young people and, and independent, whether you're young or not, independent filmmakers to get their messages out there. So many um festivals, so much internet opportunities. And when your time comes, certainly you want to be the best that you can be. So taking the weekend and going out and shooting something or grabbing a couple of friends and experimenting with, you know, different scenes is a great way to, to build that technical base. You may have just answered this question, but what advice would you give to young filmmakers just starting out? I think the biggest thing for me is if you really have a passion for for filmmaking, you know, whether it is you want to direct or act or be a cinematographer or a special effects makeup artist or whatever, I think if you have that passion, it's very, it's something that you need to, you need to fuel um, because sometimes our, our daily lives can figure out a way to extinguish that, that flame. And it's, it's one thing that to realize also that it's a passion that you can have for the rest of your life and it's something that you can build on for the rest of your life so that if you're 25, just think of where you could be in 20 years and don't worry about where you want to be in three years. And just keep that passion alive and find ways to nurture it. And, and you know, that's kind of the philosophical end of things. But I think the technical end is you really need to build yourself a, a technical base and um, not just pretend to know stuff, but really be confident when you're reading something or talking to someone on set and in other words, you can't, you know, if you if you build your your career on on that technical base, you know, you can go anywhere. Whereas, you know, if, if you're always wishy-washy and you just don't have that confidence, and you can't achieve the potential that that you have in you. And um, I mean, it's 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 not anything different than you know your coaches or your your parents or your professors told you all along. I mean, you got to do the legwork in order to achieve the most you can achieve. And, and it's not, you know, it's something that you can have fun with. The other thing, too, is, you know, don't let naysayers or even yourself or your friends or your parents or whatever say that, you know, it's a waste of time. I mean, you know, we all have to follow the path that we think is calling to us. But at the same time, you know, there's that practical thing of how I pay the bills. So it's the old struggling artist syndrome where, you know, you have this emotion inside of you that you just want to, set free and, and follow, but yet you got the practical side of living life. I just say, you know, just continue to fuel your passion and um, do the work and Absolutely. the homework and execute. And, you know, you're going to wake up someday and think, man, I've come a long way. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for being with us today. I've really enjoyed talking to you and been inspired by some of your, your thoughts on cinematography. I want to give a chance real quick to talk about uh, Courageous. That's your uh, upcoming film with the uh, Sherwood Pictures folks. Can you tell us a little bit about that and when it when it's coming out? Yeah, we finished filming in July of this year, and it's going to be coming out probably within the next 12 months. Independent films kind of have certain windows that they have to follow with release schedules. But I think 
probably this time next year. And we shot uh, in Albany, Georgia, for eight weeks. It's a it's a cop drama about four cops, and uh, it was interesting for us because um, you know we raised the bar once again uh, a little bit more. Uh, money for the budget, a little bit more effects, a couple couple shoot 'em up scenes, and a couple car chases, and and so cool. <laughs> um, so that's always that's always a good thing. Awesome, uh, looking forward to it. That comes out in 2011, right? Exactly. Well, Bob, uh, I can't thank you enough, and we've really enjoyed talking to you today. Well, thanks, Sean. I appreciate what you're doing because uh, the blog and everything is has a tremendous amount of value to people, and uh, it's one of the ways that, like we talked about, is uh, getting yourself more immense, or immersed in, uh, in cinematography, and, and appreciate <laughs> what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, you're giving away my secret that yeah. uh, while I do while I do this, I'm actually learning quite a bit myself. So <laughs> that's what it's all thanks about. Thanks so much. Absolutely, man. Thank you. We'd like to once again thank Bob Scott for being with us today. Visit www.waterfootfilms.com and click Podcast to learn more about the show and to get news about upcoming guests. Until next time, I'm Sean Malone. Thanks for listening.